Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Outreach. That's Outreach.io, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up sales time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best. Outreach has your back. It's a great product. The company is filled with amazing people. And I can tell you firsthand, Outreach will make your sales org better. Do yourself a favor and check them out today. The Sales Leadership Podcast is also brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Exvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will change careers in, in, in your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. We appreciate each of our listeners and are committed to introducing you to the most innovative, most successful sales leaders in the world. If you like what you hear, please keep those reviews coming on your favorite podcast sites. Your reviews make it easier for more people to find this show and be introduced to these sales success blueprints. Now... Get ready for some sales insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. I am super excited for today's guest. Tiffany Bova is the Global Customer Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce. She works with some of the world's most innovative companies as they look to transform the way they engage with their customers, grow their businesses, and create legendary customer experiences. Tiffany helps companies create transformational results and is one of the people that is closest to the disruptive trends that create significant impact. She's a best-selling author, and her first book, Growth IQ, has been translated into several languages and was named one of the top five leadership and strategy books in the world. She's also the host of an award-winning podcast, What's Next? And if you don't listen to it, you need to make sure you subscribe when we're done with the show today. Tiffany has won countless industry awards. She's a regular contributor to HBR, Forbes, and other periodicals. And you've probably seen her on places like Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, MSNBC, or any other countless number of sources. Her combination of operational and research experience has led her to be known as one of the leading thinkers in the area of sales transformation, as well as business model innovation. She continues to learn by spending time in the market, learning firsthand as she works with companies around the world. Tiffany, I have been so excited to have you on our show. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I mean, what an intro. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes uh, your results speak, speak for themselves, and it was hard to keep it that short for the things that you've done. So I'm, I'm excited. Can we start the show by having you just introduce yourself to our listeners and what you do with Salesforce and, and the things you do to help companies around the world? Sure. Uh, I've now been at Salesforce almost four years. It's just flown by. It's been an amazing 
uh, journey for sure. But prior to joining Salesforce, I was a research fellow at Gartner for a decade, uh, helping companies on sales transformation, go-to-market models, sales tra- uh, channel development, as well as the impact of digital marketing to the way brands sort of sell and engage with customers. And I was part of the team that was super instrumental in thinking about chief marketing officers spending in that MarTech stack and getting broader into sales and customer service maybe seven or eight years ago. So that was a great learning experience for me to to become an academic, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, but before that, I was a quota-carrying sales rep. I started out as an individual contributor, worked my way up to management, and finally was running a division of gateway computers, uh, both direct and indirect sales, and had customer service, and I had marketing, and I've been in call centers. But one of my you know, most sort of fun times, if you will, was kind of 99 to 2002. We were the largest web hosting company in the US. Wow. So I was one of the very first sales organizations to sell via chat. I was a Loquas beta customer. We were selling recurring revenue. I had to create comp plans that, you know, facilitated that and churn. And, you know, we were not selling tin and hardware and software, if you will. We were selling this internet cloud-based service to small businesses. And, you know, I, I can't begin to tell you how many conversations I have 20 years later. And I feel like, am I still having this conversation? So, you know, the good news is, is what is different is the same. So, you know, that's, that's a little bit about me. I like to say I'm a recovering seller, although I no longer carry a quota at Salesforce. Uh, I get to vicariously sell through the amazing salespeople I engage with on a daily basis. So you were cloud before cloud was cool is what you're telling me. Yeah, it was just the world wide web. Yes. WWW. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I remember those days. I remember it being called. I remember uh, it being called remotely hosted uh, and, and stuff like that. That's, yeah, that's we were four, that... we were four times the size of Rackspace. We almost bought Rackspace. I mean, we were a hundred and about one hundred and twenty million in in MRR. And in wow. you know two thousand and two thousand one, I was one of the founding members of the uh, Intel put together a managed services network. And so we've got obviously in the hardware resale business, managed service providers are the big thing. And so I feel like I have been fortunate enough to be on the cusp of some of these big transitions we've had as, as selling organizations specifically around technology. And so that has just opened my eyes. And then the last four years at Salesforce has gotten me out of only speaking with tech companies. And so now I get to talk to hospitality and banks and, you know, all kinds of industries, healthcare and education that I never got the opportunity to speak with before. So now it's just been this amazing learning experience all over again. Awesome. Last thing I want to ask before we dive into what we're going to be talking about today. I, I always love asking our, our guests this. How did you get started in sales? I love how you discover, you, you, you call yourself a recovering salesperson. How'd you get started in sales in the first place? You know, it's interesting. Most people didn't grow up wanting to be in sales, but somehow it finds us and, and grabs hold of us. Can you just give us a quick how you landed in sales and then and, and, and that led you to a great career? Yeah, so I'd tell you that that very question, uh, Salesforce did something called the story of sales. And for those of you who have yeah. not seen it, just Google it, story of sales, Salesforce. And it's the story of three following three salespeople through their days. Uh, one is in real estate, one is in technology, one is a car salesman and you know what it really means to be in sales. And one of the comments made is like, you know, you don't go home and say, mom, when I grow up, I want to be a salesperson. Right. Right. Like, and when you're at a party and they say, what do you do? People step back. You're in sales. Like, are you, is it Wolf of Wall Street? Is it Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Like we just, we never had anything, you know, shine a positive light on the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, we're one of the very few careers, you know, where, 
you are on call 24 seven for, for all intent and purposes. You know, if you're selling something that is a complex sale, not if you're working in retail sales, let's say, but you know, that means when you're on family vacations, you know, your pager back in the day, your cell phone now, your text <laughs> message, your tweet, whatever goes off, you answer. That's or right. you're, you cancel vacations or trips or family outings because a deal's coming in. And, you know, 11.59 on New Year's, you are sitting by your fax machine. Now it's, you know, at your email. But it, it's, a, it's kind of a thankless job. You know, you, companies do two things. I'm oversimplifying. They make stuff, they sell stuff. And if you don't sell stuff, you don't have a business. So, you know, I, I'd say that um, I accidentally fell into it, but I was an athlete my whole life. And I think anybody listening who was an athlete realizes now how much being an athlete prepares you for being a great salesperson mm. <laughs> as coaches are like sales managers and teams are like sales teams. And, you know, everyone has to be rowing in the same direction, just like a sport. And if you're an individual contributor sport, it's like selling. If you're in a team sport, it's like selling. If you have to win with your head held high and be humble and you have to lose with your head held high in sports, you know, sportsmanship and all of that, I think um, really, led me to want to find a career where I could get those competitive juices flowing. Cause I enjoy that part of, of the job of selling. Right. And so, you know, I, I think to your point, I think it found me. Uh, I can't imagine myself doing anything else other than what I'm doing now. Right. Cause I don't technically sell like that anymore. Right. But you know, thankfully like yesterday I spoke at a sales kickoff, well, it last two days, two sales kickoffs, you know, and I was in front of probably 2000 sellers and that just energizes me uh, like nothing else. All right. So I love that. And I love the analogy on sports teams. I, I, I've often said that being in sales is the closest thing to being a professional athlete because one person wins and everybody else freaking loses on every pursuit. And, and uh, I, I love that side of it and the team and the team part and the sportsmanship. So thank you. All right, let's dig in. Tiffany, one of the reasons I'm super excited to have you is, is, is I, I do, I follow your, your podcast. I've listened to you speak. I, uh, our customers, the people listen, know that I'm, our company is really heavily into the Salesforce ecosystem. I love the things you've done to help companies achieve transformational results. And as we are early in the year, sales leaders are always asked to do more. You know, they aren't asked to do the same. They aren't asked to do the less. Our job is we run to the more button. We got to do better and do more than we did before. And you are very close to what leads to transformation and what does not. I'd like to start this conversation today on some of your observations as you work with leaders that have been able to successfully create transformational results. What do they do that the ones that are average or never create transformation just don't seem to do? Can we start having a conversation about the role of leaders in, in, in achieving transformational results? Yeah, I think, I think that there is so much focus on the individual contributor. You know, how do we help an individual contributor be a social, better social seller? How do we onboard them? How do we train them? Like, and we're focused on that individual. And then you have executives that focus on the big picture. You know, what's the revenue goal? What's the quota? What are we trying to hit? Like, how can we accelerate it? All those big questions. And the sales management layer is trapped in the middle of those two things. Like I need to manage my people on a day-to-day -day basis. I need to manage my team. I need to inspire them and motivate them, but I need to coach them. And then I need to, you know, help them close business. I need to watch the business. I need to go out on sales calls. You know, I'm, I'm grinding as well as a sales manager, but I also have the responsibility of managing up. I'm the connection point between the executive team and our, my individual contributors and their set of expectations or their cadence or what they want from me may be in conflict 
or may take me away from what I'm actually here to do. And so that sales manager role is kind of very thankless, right? Because it's no doubt, you know, how do I make sure that my teams hit my numbers, but I also have to keep the executive team happy. And of course, if you're a very small organization and that's like, you have two salespeople and then, you know, one leader that that's different. As you start working in larger and larger organizations, that complexity of the layering um, to the executive team makes it more and more difficult because you're trapped by, you know, managing down and managing up where the sales rep is just responsible for like, I can only take care of myself and I have to make sure my manager is happy. So I'd say the sales managers that have uh, really shown how to do that well is to make sure that they get really effective at managing their teams because then it can free them up to have transformational conversations, investment conversations, future headcount conversations, you know, what tools they're going to be using conversations, because if they're not having it with the executive team, the executive team is making those decisions and tossing it over the fence. But if the sales manager is constantly, you know, filling their days with the tactical transactional management, they don't have time. So the high performers I see are able to, whether it, you know, I'm guessing much of that is technology, but even the style they run a meeting, the way they run their pipeline calls, how they do their forecasts, like even those things have huge impact on freeing up time for them to be available uh, for, for the transformational conversations. All right. So you just had a great start. That I, now I want to sit on this for a minute and see if we can dive down into this. Okay. We've got a lot of people that are listening. We've got like people that are stuck in traffic or on a treadmill or walking the dog or whatever, listening to you talk. And they're like, okay. So I, I get that. You just talked about the way they did uh, their calls and their ride-alongs and their, their forecasting. And you, you just said move past being transactional or tactical and let's get a little more strategic in those things. So I got a bunch of people who are going, I want to do that. Can you give any pointers on maybe how they, how they actually start to move past just being operational and becoming a little more strategic? Is there any kind of blueprint to that? Well, there's never one right answer, but I would say this. I would say at a minimum, I would take a week or two and actually track your time on what you're doing every day. Hmm. What am I doing? How much time am I spending at an individual layer? Like how much time do I spend with Sally and how much time do I spend with Bob and how much spend do I, time do I spend with Jose and Omar? And you know what I mean? Like pick, pick your people. How much time are you spending with them? How much time are you spending on reports? How much time are you spending on client calls? How much, you know, and map it out at the end of a couple of weeks look and say, okay, I have a hundred percent of my time. And I realize once again, going back to, we work a lot as salespeople, but let's take it as a 40 hour work week and literally say, what percentage of my time is spent on those activities and look at your largest buckets of time. Then the next question would then be, okay, how do I either get that off my plate? Cause I shouldn't be doing it anyway. You know, yeah. maybe it's a control thing. So, you know, there is someone on your team who should be doing it, but you're still doing it. So that's never good. So give them and empower them the ability to take over that work that they should have taken over in the first place. What are things you can completely remove? Like, why am I still doing that? Next is, okay, I'm spending time on this, but why is it taking me an hour or why is it taking me two hours or why is it taking me, you know what I mean? There has to be a better way and start there. Start with what you're doing now, because if you're, if you walk into that saying, I'm going to spend more time on talk, thinking about transformation you don't even know what more time is and you don't know what you're spending your time on now. And you don't know where your levers are unless you know what you're doing every day. I, I love that because how you use time is the, is the most precious resource we have. And if you can become more effective in how you spend your time, then you're right. You get more done. So I, I'll be interested in this. I know that we have, we're just like, you're not prepared for this one, but you do enough of this. I'll be interested in your take. 
What would you guess as you've worked with sales leaders and you probably have had this conversation, how much time can they actually get back if they get intentional about where it goes? Percentage wise. Yeah. So I tell you that sales people in our research, we do research every year called the state of sales, um, which which you can get at salesforce.com backslash research. So it's free to get. Um, but it, it came back at 66% of a sales rep's time is spent on non-selling activities. Yeah, I remember right? that. I follow your research. You're, that, that was mind-boggling to me. And, and, I, so, and I have to say, right, and then, but the other side of that coin, so that's ours. On the other side of that coin is CSO's research, which I think is like 54% of sales reps will miss quota this year yep. and, or, you know, in 19. And uh, uh, that that number has been flat or going down for the past five years. So now let's back up a second with all the advancements in technology, with the smartphone, with social, with LinkedIn, with CRM, with, you know, Einstein, with Salesforce, with, you know, everything out there, you're telling me that the quota is actually going down and the amount of time selling is also going down. And so you could make a direct correlation between the two. Now, to be clear, your sales teams, 100% will never hit. Probably best in class is going to be in the, you know, low seventies. Yep. Right. And so the point is, is how do you move your uh, quota achievement two to 5%? And as a sales manager, you'd be a hero. And especially if you're a really large organization, moving 5% on a hundred million is, is good money. So, you know, uh, or a billion, you know, or multiple billions. Um, And so your goal then is how do I take some of that 66% of a seller's time and reallocate that to what you hired them to do, which is selling now, that stat is also not lost on me, right? Because I know for a fact, having done it and having asked my people to do it, that we do not, as salespeople, wake up every day and go, my God, I can't wait to data enter. Right? So <laughs> You don't? I, no. And, and I'm sure everyone's laughing, right? And so it's not lost on me. I work for a CRM company and you know, I'm saying it's not about data entry. But what I will tell you is that's why all the investments we've been making around Einstein and analytics and intelligence and voice is to try to allow the technology to take over some of the transactional manual kind of input. Like Tiffany Bova sends Rob an email and instead of Rob going, oh, okay, I need to go to my CRM system and go, Tiffany Bova sent me an email. And here was the topic that now it goes into the CRM. So that's just an example, right? Or it used to be at the end of the day, you'd have to take notes, then you'd have to sit at your desk and you'd have to type in all the information. Well, now we're getting to a place where voice can, at the end of your meeting, you spend five minutes, do unstructured data, just sort of go, I just talked to Rob, this is what he wants, this is when he wants it, this is what I, here's my follow-up items, give me these three to-dos and call it a day. Yep. And it's getting smarter and smarter and smarter. So it's never going to go away, but if you're not taking advantage of all that technology now can do for you as a seller from an automation and productivity standpoint, shame on you, because mm. that's why you're spending 66% of your time not selling. And that's why you're missing your quota now. Love it. Love it. Preach. That's awesome. What about for sales managers? Do you think it's still close to 60% for managers as well as sellers? Yeah. So my problem with sales managers is the following, like, I, and I pick on uh, pipeline and forecast as sort of the two things, right? Because people will be like, oh, you know, we, we have this glorified Rolodex called CRM and that's all we use it for is contact management, right? System Crazy. of record. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing is, oh, you know, we just use it for our forecast and pipeline tool. Also crazy. But so, so let's, let's just say, okay, you don't have something like, like, you know, like Salesforce and you run your pipeline and forecast meeting like 
like it's blue. You get Salesforce. Now Salesforce is deployed and implemented. It's time for your pipeline and forecast meeting and your, and those meetings are still blue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So back up. So now I'm a sales rep. I've entered all my pipeline and forecast information. I have my pipeline call with my manager every Wednesday, you know, and it's an hour long uh, and it's every Wednesday, you know, from nine to 10 and it has been kind of a thing, right? And it's my first one. Salesforce is deployed. I, you know, the whole week before I got all my data in there. You know, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't count. You know, all that stuff, right? Okay. Right. I sat there. I did everything I was supposed to do. And then my forecast call, my manager goes, so tell me about this deal. You're like, well, wait a minute. Like I just entered all that information. Like go look yeah. it up in Salesforce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so managers have to say, you cannot run your team's um, and do the things that you've done to, to manage the business the same way that you did prior to deploying a technology like ours. It, it's not just ours, right? But any technology in this category, and then say that you're spending your time wisely. So I would say that, you know, in my Gartner days, one of the biggest problems was for sales managers is how do you change the tires on the car when it's going around the track, a la going around the track is hitting quota changing the tires on the car is the pit stop, which is the transformational innovation conversation. You know, when I talked to sales leaders back then, you know, and I was talking to some of the largest sales organizations and helping them with their entire transformation, I'd be like, well, let's talk out, you know, four, five, six quarters, like 18 months from now. And they're like this, no, Tiffany, like I have to hit quota this quarter, right? Or I'm not going to have a job 18 months from now. And I don't care what they do 18 months from now. Like I have to hit my number. And I'm like, yeah, but you're missing the point. Every quarter you roll and put this off three or four quarters from now, you're dealing with the same problem. So if you don't start to carve that time out to think about what does your future state look like, uh, you're going to continue to run your forecast and pipeline meetings the way you always have. Boy, I am so glad you went there, Tiffany, because you're right. I mean, you've seen the numbers. The the average tenure for a VP of sales has dropped over the last seven years from 24 months down to 18 now. And and you're right. They're, they're so worried about hitting to today that I don't really care what's going to happen 24 months from now. Um, that's, that's a problem. And, and so what you're saying is you better be intentional about carving out time so you can be competitive in the future while still winning today. Yeah. And then when I say carving out time and I'm being really serious here, I do not mean like Saturdays and Sundays. I do not mean at 10 o'clock at night. You know, one of the things I've really spent time on, on probably the last eight or 10 months has been around the level of burnout in the role of sellers and the level of burnout in the role of sales management and uh, I'm, I'm trying to raise awareness around the fact that as a manager, and, and I did this amazing podcast with a group called um, Uncrushed.org. And, love that group. Freaking love yeah, it. Yeah. yeah and, and I was talking about if I knew everything I know now when I was a sales manager many years ago, would I do things differently? And my answer was very reflective. I was like, I think I would because I was grinding. I had not slept in my own bed for seven straight nights for three and a half years. I was, you know, hiring and burning. We were having staff meetings on Saturday. This was during the, the heyday of the World Wide Web. And, you know, we were so pushing the envelope from a new and innovative company that everyone wanted a piece of us. And I just said yes to everything. And I expected my team to do the same thing. And, you know, I was burnt out. And if I was burnt out, they were burnt out. Yeah. And so I would say, look, you know, it's a sales manager's responsibility also, you know, on the, on the sort of business side, but also on the personal side, like 
we have to spend time with our sales managers, helping them to understand, to be, have more empathy and have more concern around this wellness and just the mental well-being of your team. Because if they're stressed and anxious, they're not going to perform. And then they start making mistakes. And then it's, it's just a vicious cycle. And you, know, you never want to be um, in a situation where someone leaves because they're just burnt out, but they were good and you were so... Uh, unaware of the reality. So I don't mean that you have to always be like, are you okay? Are you okay? I don't mean to overdo it. Yeah. But if you feel like someone used to always do this and all of a sudden you're like, wow, you know, I don't hear back from them for like three days. I used to hear from back from them in an hour. And I, you, not that you need to be an hour, right? But it's three days, like they're turning in their paperwork late, like their sales quota, uh, you, know, um, abil- you know, the ability to hit numbers has been steadily going down just a point or two, you know, that you notice something say something like it, you have to make sure that your people are okay. So, you know, I'd say on the business side, carving out time and, and then making the time to, to watch for transformation, innovation, and how to really change the tire on the car, but do not do it at the expense of your health or the health of your teams. And so that is that very fine line to make sure that everybody is happy and healthy and by all means feels safe to raise their hand if they, if they need to say, I'm overwhelmed, I need help. All right. I want to sit on that one now because that, I, like, first of all, I'm glad you mentioned Uncrushed. I've had three members of the Uncrushed team on this podcast. We've had Tim, we've had James, and we've had uh, Richard Harrison as well. And, um, and so I'm a big believer in what you're talking about. I think that this concept of burnout is a real issue. Can you just share something? You, told, you mentioned that you said you've been doing a lot of like looking and thinking and, and pondering about this burnout. Any trends related to burnout that you could share with our leaders that would help them be like better managers as a result of hearing about it? Yeah. So Tim and I did a small sample survey. It was too small to, for me to really sort of share. But, you know, we did it on Twitter and LinkedIn. We did it internally. We asked friends, you know, and, and so we're going to conduct a, a much more comprehensive one. And and I'm working on, a, on an article for Harvard Business Review on this very topic because, you know, when we went searching for it, you just don't see it. You hear burnout in so many other ways, mm-hmm. um, but not in the sales profession. It goes back to your, one of your very first questions, like, what, did, what made you want to get into sales? You know, it's one of these professions that people just don't talk about. Like, it's really stressful. I don't care if you're a car salesman, a car saleswoman, or you're selling real estate. Like, if you're selling real estate and you don't sell a house, you don't make any money. Right. Right. So there's no base pay. And the average realtor across the United States literally sells less than two homes a year. I didn't know that. Okay. So, you know, think about it. Oh, you got mouths to feed, right? And, and if you watch that story of sales, one of them, uh, the woman who uh, sold technology, had like three kids, did PTA meetings, like, you know, in between, like the husband, who's picking up the kids, like the minivan and the on the calls. And I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. And, you know, that is reality. So, you know, we really wanted to dig in what, you know, I really, I, you know, I, I sit on the board as well on Uncrushed. And so, it, it, you know, ultimately it was, it's something I'm passionate about. It has not been my journey of personally getting into trouble in that way, but I know that I have the platform and the voice to be able to raise awareness around the topic. But also I was a manager who was very unaware early in my career. So if I can change those behaviors, because I don't have any idea if I burnt someone to a place that made them unhealthy, right? Mm. I don't know if I did. I hope I didn't. But, um, you know, I know I was unhealthy. So if I was doing it to myself, um, you know, it's probably not a good sign. But bottom line was everybody we asked said they felt like they were on 24-7, that they were expected to answer emails at all the time, day and night. 
you know, that they were under pressure to always do better, 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 that the quota always goes up, 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 right? And these expectations continue to raise. And oh, by the way, I'm throwing 10 more tools at you from a technology standpoint, and you need to master all of them. So any, any advice to managers? I mean, so you, you've been stirring this pot. Well, what are some of your initial thoughts with all these things going on? Any, any like one or two things to managers is like words of wisdom? So I would say there's a few things. One, I'd say I, I need you to just start paying attention. Like once again, I said, take the inventory of your week, take the inventory of your team, just sit quietly, do that on a Saturday and Sunday when you're not frazzled and you have a moment and just put everyone's name on a piece of paper and then say, you know, have they been as responsive as they have been in the past? Do you notice any differences? And really honestly answers those questions. And if you have a couple people where you kind of go, and you need to be honest, like err on the caution, not on the, nah, it's probably nothing. Like err on the caution side. And then reach out and say, hey, you know, I was thinking maybe we could go grab a cup of coffee and have a conversation and not about quota and not about a deal and not about a forecast and not a, just how are you doing? And, you know, maybe start listening to podcasts around uh, empathy and the sort of how can I raise my own EQ and, and then, and then maybe read something like Kim Scott's written radical candor. Like how do you give feedback to somebody to help them improve without it being very, you know, stick and that balance between giving fair and balanced feedback to help them just become their best selves. And listen, many sales managers used to be incredible sellers. It does not mean you're going to be an incredible manager. Amen. And no one teaches you how to cross that chasm. So when I moved from individual contributor to team leader to then manager, and then it was, you know, director VP, and then I got into the SVP, you know, sitting on a, the executive team of a Fortune 500 company. I tell you, I invested in myself. I read books. I went and went to class. There wasn't podcasts back then. You know, I talked to people. I was a sponge. I learned. I watched. I listened. And if you don't do those things and you run your sales team the way you run your own business, that's not fair, number one. Number two, they're not you. And if you were a high-performing seller, meaning hitting 100% of quota, remember, 50% of your sales team does not hit quota. So they are not you. Right. <laughs> so the intuitive nature of your 100% quota hitting and you're one of a top performer you know, how easy it is for you to navigate and make a phone call and shake a hand and do an elevator pitch and, you know, weasel out of a bad situation and, you know, present a solution and pull in the right teams. All the things that come very naturally to, to some of us does not to other people. And so you cannot manage them like they're you and you can't get frustrated when they don't understand you because they're not you. So those are just some things I can tell you um, that were taught to me early on by people I admired. And I, I, you know, I by no means mastered it. I'm sure I could have been better, but I was always striving to be better. All right. So I, I, I could have a conversation with you about this burnout. It would be its own series of podcasts. I'm so interested in it. Um, I'm going to ask you one more on this, and then we're going to go on what else I want to talk about. And this is another one. I'm sorry for like sticking in here for a minute, but I think no, I think you're onto something. I think it's a big deal. I mean, last year, Tiffany, again, I'd be interested in what your take, what you think. One of, one of my guests told me that specializes in, in recruiting and turnover salespeople, 34% of salespeople turned over last year in the United States. And that means there's a lot more than just I want a different job. I, I think a lot of it has to be burnout. So this is what I wanted to ask you. So my, my mentor, co-founder of my company, he wrote a really uh, well-received paper on burnout. 
And he found that there was a balanced framework. There are passion factors in the job and there are stress factors in the job. And if you can achieve some level of balance, that's when things start to stabilize. And what happens is there's all of these, these stress factors that are just innate. Like you said, you've got to hit quota. You've got to do these things. You know, sometimes you're in highly regulated areas. And so you have to do what the regulators say. And you can't just take stress out of the job. It's impossible to do. And so the question is, how do you insert and add passion to the job to make it so you have a better balance of passion? Any thoughts around that? Is there any, as you think about that, does that make sense? Agree, disagree? Uh, Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things, you know, I I think that the turnover in sales is a couple, I I don't know the reason, but I'm just going to go from my gut. Like, why do I think people used to leave when I was a manager, right? Yeah. So sometimes it could be, and I'm just, actually, let me back that up. I'm going to use myself. So in my 30s, um, I changed sales jobs every 18 months. I left every 18 months. And this is what I did. It was, you know, I was an individual contributor. And then I was like, oh, I'm kind of good at this. Oh, and by the way, I'm passionate about it. And I love it. And I want to keep doing it. I want to do more. And I, you know, I, once again, the athlete in me, like, I'd like to be a team leader. I'd like to be a coach. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how how do I move up? That was sort of what I wanted to do. Um, and so I would go to my employer and I'd be like, you know, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. I'm just wondering what my opportunity is here for to take on a little more responsibility. And, you know, you'd get the canned answer of, we really value you. We love that you work here. You do such a great job. We love what you're doing, but there isn't anything right now, but you know, we'll keep it in mind. Like, you know, give me, give me a little bit of time and I'll come back to you. So like, you know, 60, 90 days goes by and you know, you don't hear anything crickets. Like you never had the conversation. And so I go back in, Hey, but simultaneously I'm sort of working a plan B. I'm like, okay. Right. And so what ended up happening was I did that four times and each time they couldn't find a role for me. There was, and, and the truth was there was no role. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't that they were picking someone else. There just, there wasn't an opportunity. There wasn't a role, but I wanted it in, from a career perspective. And your only option was to leave. My only option was to leave. Yeah. And so uh, uh, I left and every time I left, now this is, you know, I'm 53. So we're talking 20 years ago. Right. And so when I left, it was like, you know, you'd walk in with your W2, like I can sell, here's my W2, you'd get a job. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very different than it is now. Yeah. So um, you know, I, every time I left, by the way, and of course sellers will enjoy this, I doubled my salary. Okay. Right. No, and another so, decent reason to leave. Yeah. Another decent reason. And what, let me say that differently. Not the salary, just my TTC, right? I doubled what I was earning. Yep. Um, and so, uh, cause you know, there's base commission. So, yeah, yeah but yeah. then every time I went, you know, I went and I was a sales leader and then I was a senior director and then I was a vice president and then I was a, you know what I'm saying? And then I, we got acquired and then I, you know, that I bounced here and there. And then I ended up in 99 in the, you know, hot web hosting space, all because at the time I was working for Sprint, they had bought the systems integrator. I was working for Paranet. I was running their services team on the West. And uh, one of the clients was a small little web hosting company that was doing all the web hosting for idea lab. So the very original like pets.com and all that stuff. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, I'm kind of tired of schlepping gear and tin and software. Like, I'm going to go try this worldwide web stuff out. And I accidentally landed in there. But because I had all this selling experience, like, they're like, oh, we'd love someone who, quote, unquote, was senior. I was 36, senior, you know, to do this for us. Um, And so I accidentally fell into it. But I took sort of, you know, my own destiny into my own hands. So I I would say to you that, um, if you really do aspire, but during that time, let me say, 
I took a class at USC on uh, profit and loss statements. I took an account because I didn't know how to walk around a PL. I'm a salesperson. Like, hmm. I know how to do a quote, I know how to sell stuff, and I know how to figure out a commission check. <laughs> Beyond that, yeah. I was out. Right. Yeah. And so I took a PL class. It was like watching paint dry with hot needles in my eyes. However, <laughs> I didn't need to run the PL. I need to understand what it was saying to me, right? And then I took a marketing class because I knew eventually I was going to have to because sales and marketing is sort of this misnomer. Then I landed in running a call center with 150 call center agents. Like I'd never done that before. Like, you know, and so you have to be willing to be um, honest with yourself to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so, you know, what, what, what can I do? Where can I go learn? What podcast, what book, what seminar, what, you know, uh, trade show, what can I go do to learn? If you want to move up, do not rest on the laurels of the fact that you're a great salesperson. So you think you're going to be a great manager because once again, mm. they are not you and you cannot manage them also the way you'd want to be managed. Like it is really, um, if you've ever watched the profit, I love, I love, I love that Mar show. Marcus I, love Lamonis. Some, yes. I love me some Marcus Lemonis. And I would tell you that watch how much he has to talk about the people side of the business, <laughs> that is all the skills that you have to learn. Listen, empathy, you know, sometimes it's making people who don't get along, get along. Like, I mean, it, it is not just going and, you know, bringing the, bringing the deal over the, over the goal line. Although that's important. Um, if your sales team is happy and healthy, you have a much better chance of succeeding. Okay, I'm going to move to the last thing that I want to talk about. Cause, All righty, I'm ready. Because the time is flying. This was so good. Your quote, they are not you. That, that might be the best thing that a leader can think of as a result of listening to you today is they well, are not you. I love so, that. You said it three times. Yeah, and because I have to tell you, look, I, I, and this is not mine. Mike Bosworth wrote, or he created solution selling. Like right. he is yep. the father of solution selling. And Mike yep. and I were having lunch many years ago and he had this conversation with me. He said, there's kind of three kinds of sellers. One is an A seller that will hit quota. It's intuitive. It's kind of, it, this is, you know, it's in their nature, very little taught. They just, they, they are naturally born sellers. Okay. Then the next group is a B performer still could hit quota. So it's not about hitting quota, but it's about the natural innate skills where the B player is like, tell me what to do. I'm going to do it, you know, 40,000 times. And then I get good at it. You know what I mean? Like if I call a hundred people, 10 will call me back. Three will set a meeting. One will close. If I call a hundred people, you know what I mean? And they're grinding the process. And I'll just do that. Yeah. I'll just do and that. And I'll just do that. And I'll get very good at it. And I might hit quota, but when something gets a little out of whack, they're like, whoop, I don't know where the A performer intuitively will know how to work their way out. C performer um, is someone you're either going to manage out or you have to manage back in, right? Because they need some help. The split between that percentage-wise is like 13 to 15% are A performers, 65% is B, and the rest is a C. Wow. Okay, so now as a manager, your number one priority is getting your B performers, your middle performers, to improve quota attainment. Leave the A's alone. I am a pain in the ass. Don't do my pipeline on time. Don't do my forecast on time. Don't do my paperwork on time. Oh, but by the way, I hit 110% of quota. So are you going to bother me? No, you're not going to bother me. So if you are a manager, don't use your A performers as your litmus test to what success looks like because 65% of your sellers are not them. Got it. Okay. And the other thing is, is that, and if you are an A performer, you cannot manage the Bs like they have your 
intuitive nature. So that's why I say that you have to, and if a B is a manager, they sometimes don't know how to manage A's, right? Because they're like, no, 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 you have to call a hundred people. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so the goal, by the way, is not to get B's to become A's. And it's never, do not always, do not ever hire all A's (laughs) because uh, I don't know how you'd last if you had, you know, a hundred of me, it would be, you know, it'd be terrible. So um, one of me is more than most people can take. It's, it's a lot, you know, we are, we are a lot, we are a lot to manage, um, but we, but we perform. And if you try to improve my performance by one or 2%, it's negligible. Mm. But if you can get the middle to move. So I'm just going to table that because if you think about it that way, uh, then you may realize, and, and please do not walk up to a seller and go, Hey, John, you're a middle performer. Hey, right. Sally, you're like, right, that's, right, right. it's just in your mind so that you can think, okay, what personality do I need in order to get this person to perform better? And those, those two personalities are very different. All right. So last thing I wanted to ask you before we get into the, the rapid fire, three questions we finish everything with. Uh, for the managers that are out there, is there like a trend or two that you don't want to be late to the party on right now uh, for our managers or leaders that are like, what do I do this year differently? I want to be better. I want to do more. Is there a tr- You're known for being able to say, these are the trends. What should our leaders really be paying attention to right now? What's still out there that you don't need to get too worried about yet? So I'm going to say uh, two sides to the same coin. First side to the coin is if your sales team, including yourself, by the way, are not using technology the way it was built to be used, you will get beat by someone who is. Hmm. And if I were going to say I would hire 10 A performers or skill up my B performers on carving 20% of that 66% of their time spent on non-selling, I'd pick Bs all day long. Okay. The other side of that coin is if your teams do not come on this technology adoption journey with you, a la, oh, we have Salesforce and no one logs in. (laughs) That problem? Right. Or we're just using it as a Rolodex or just a forecast and pipeline tool. And you want them to, and you've tried carrot, you've tried stick, you've tried, if it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't count. You've tried all those things and they're not doing it. Fire your Salesforce. Wow. Yeah. I'm known for saying that. So, you know, don't be surprised. This is a 10 year old statement. I made it on stage many years ago. Someone just yesterday brought it up to me. Literally the first time I said it was 10 years ago. I remember when you said fire your Salesforce. And the reason I say that is because you will work for 12 months to get someone to come on, log into Salesforce. It's going to be good for you. Like trying to change a behavior. Maybe they've always done it one way and you're trying to get them to do it another way and they just will not do it. Your option is you keep investing in them to change a behavior. We're all humans. It's hard. Or you're going to say, it's just not working out. You're going to hire someone who right off the gate already uses whatever tool you already have somewhere else. And now you bring them in here. Now you have two to three months of onboarding and they're now selling in your format, in your you know, processes, using your tools, you've just gained nine months on that person that was unwilling to do it. You're trying it. to hit quota. I mean, at the end of the day, your job is to hit quota. And, and your statement would apply a lot more than just to the Salesforce system. It's any of the technologies you've chosen to equip the modern sales team. Yes. If they are resisting it, that means you do not have a member of the modern sales world. That's what yes. you're saying. Yes, yes. And- and, and I'm, but I'm not saying they have to be perfect. Like, I'm also not a fan. Like I, I, you know, I often say if you're, if you suck at sales offline, you're going to suck online. Like, you know what I mean? So sometimes, sometimes it's it, just, yeah, yeah don't, social selling and that worries me because at scale, it's like, oh, you're bad at one-on-one. Like, I don't want you scaling it. So, 
you know, at, at the at the end of the day, it's not that they have to be proficient at everything, but if they are not able to embrace the processes, the tools that you have standardized on, that you manage by, and that you expect everyone to use, then you have a hard decision to make. You're either going to invest in convincing them, or you're going to find another role for them, or you're going to let them go. So you might as well be investing in people that are on board, is what That's you're right. saying. Got it. I love it. That's a great way to end. So let's, let's wrap this up the way we always do. The time has flown. Tiffany, you were amazing. I'm so grateful to have you on our show. We finish every show with three questions. Okay. And uh, I'm right. I'm, I can't wait to get your take on this. The first one is what do you see as the greatest sales leadership challenge and how do you overcome it? Time. Use of time. And you've already given us a blueprint on how to yep. overcome it. Okay. So it's I love it. that. Yep. Number two, this is our, 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 our listeners have asked this. And the most feedback I get, they love the answer to this one. When you're interviewing for reps, when you're hiring reps, you're going through the interview process, is there a go-to interview question or concept that you, you have found is helpful? You just talked about hiring bees. You know, and so what's your go-to interview question or concept? And what are you looking for when you ask it? Well, you know, if I were to you know, get the opportunity to build a sales team again, I would listen more than I would talk in the interview process. Think okay. I, I think I tended to share my excitement so much that I didn't get a really good feel for the person sitting on the other end of the table. And if they're a really good salesperson, uh, they talk a lot. So you don't need to ask them a whole lot of questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you want to see kind of how they handle the whole thing. You know, how they position, are they listening? You're sort of dropping them clues. Are they picking up on what you say? Like, you know, so how, talk to me about the last time, you know, where you worked uh, when they changed to technology, sort of what was the adoption like for you, for the team? You know, how did you use it? What changed for you? Like, if there's going to be a lot of change coming, you need to know if they're able to change and they're open to change and they're willing to change. Now, mind you, they're of course going to tell you what they want you to hear. So, you know, you have to keep that in mind. There's ways to do that. But I think listening, I think also expanding the uh, people who Um, do the interview process. So maybe someone from customer service and someone from marketing. Uh, And, you know, at the end of the day, I want to know, you know, were they compensated today? I would ask them, are you compensated on net promoter scores or customer satisfaction or customer experience? Like, is it, you know, I'd rather have a seller who had mixed set of KPIs, uh, you know, key performance indicators or sales metrics than just straight. Did you hit a million? Did you not hit a million? So, you know, good really sort of the tools, the, the, the uh, collaboration willingness, and then, you know, how do they, how do they feel, you know, get measured on success? Love it. Last one. Okay. We found that leaders are readers and that leaders are never done in their learning journey, which is something you've already talked about that leaders ought to be expanding their, their base. Is there something that you would recommend? And I don't care if it's a book or an audible or if it's bite-sized, a, a blog or a podcast, is there, is there a resource or, or something that you would recommend to our listeners that want to continue to develop their leadership journey? Um, it, de- you know, that's always hard because it depends what they want to improve on. So there's two things I'd say there. One, we all have strengths and a friend of mine calls them non-strengths instead of weakness. So I use that term. So we all have strengths and non-strengths. Okay. You have a choice. You're either just going to partner with someone in your company to help you with your non-strengths so like, I'm not good at walking around a PNL. I always had an ops person that worked with me. You know what I mean? And for yeah, me. That's okay. my, my same thing. I do. Okay. The exact so that's thing. my non-strength. So why beat my head against the wall? Like if I worked somewhere that would do that for me, where I had a very strong sales ops person and we could have conversations and I trusted them, like, why would I need to learn how to do that? Okay. 
So you have a choice on your non-strengths. You're either going to, you know, hire somebody or get someone on the team to be your partner in that, or you're just going to let it go by the wayside. But spending a lot of time trying to hone skills on a non-strength of yours that isn't going to pay dividend, I think is not a great use of time. The reason I say that is because then you need to double down on where your strengths are. Like, what is your strength? Like my, one of my strengths is I'm a, 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 I've been told is I'm a great storyteller. And so then I should be on stage and how do I hone that craft? And right. But if you're not a good storyteller and you're not good on stage, like, and, and your goal is to get on stage, you know, it, it's hard. So, you know, if you're really good on a phone call selling versus, a, you know, an email selling, then how do you do more of the phone call? And so I'd say you have to just have that honest conversation, almost like that time, uh, um, you know, deconstruction that I said and say, what, what am I really good at? But by the way, not what you think you're really good at. Ask your people what you're really good at. And those around you do a 360 if you can. Double down on your strengths, partner for your weaknesses, or get rid of them. Or if it's something that's mission critical to your job and people telling you it's a weakness, then you need to work on it. Tiffany, that's so good. So insightful. Listen, our time has come. It's gone. It's been an amazing conversation. Um, I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners. How do our listeners get more of what you're about? How do they get, you know, what you're thinking and connect to, you know, maybe your different uh, content that you share, et cetera. How do our listeners connect to you and, and get more from you? So there's a really great document I did last year that's being updated right now called the future of sales up on SlideShare. So if you search uh, Salesforce, the future of sales um, slide share, it will pop up. We've got some 60,000 views on it. I, I think that's a good thing for you to see where I thought the market was going, you know, 12, 14 months ago. And, and like I said, that's going to be renewed soon. I'd say uh, for the managers, go download the state of sales from, from Salesforce. Also really good. The quotable podcast, excellent. Uncrushed, fantastic. Uh, and, and then you can follow me on LinkedIn. I put a lot of stuff out. I'm prolific up on Twitter. Um, also on Instagram, et cetera, but and I do a ton of keynotes and then my podcast, but, but I'd say lastly, of course, shamelessly, uh, I think growth IQ, the book I put out in 18 is, is a great, I wrote the book I would want to read for someone who has a yeah. very short attention span. No, I'll endorse it. I mean, I'll tell you, I've read it. I, I have it. I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right now. And yeah. It's so I, I worked hard. I, I sort of had the salesperson in mind, like our personality in mind when I wrote it. So those, those would be the things that, that I would say. All right. She is, she's, this was amazing. She's the, she's the ambassador reminding each of us as sales leaders that they are not you. Make sure that as a sales manager, you find ways to connect before you correct because they are not you. Tiffany, you've been outstanding. I want to thank you again for joining us. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, I need to thank our friends at Outreach for their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast and for helping us showcase great leaders like Tiffany Bova and take a closer look at what managers can do to be more effective in the modern sales world. Because that's exactly what Outreach is all about, helping managers create environments where salespeople are more effective, faster. Outreach will help you create sales engagement your reps and your customers will thank you for, and they will do it at scale very, very quickly. Outreach is built by salespeople for salespeople, and they know how to help you scale. That's why they're a manager and a salesperson's best friend. 
Now, I've been a fan of Tiffany Bova for a long time. She has a really unique perspective as she helps companies transform and capture and maintain leadership positions in whatever market they serve. This conversation we had today is loaded with nuggets for sales leaders everywhere. Seriously, you're going to want to go back and listen to this one over and over again because you're going to pick up a bunch of different things every time you listen to it. What really spoke to me was the idea of they are not you, meaning your reps are not you. I believe one of the reasons sales leaders often struggle is they fail to connect and instead just try to correct. More than half of the reps you lead won't hit sales goal on their own. That means you're going to need to have to help them find new ways to engage. This requires effort on your part. And individualization is always the hardest part of sales leadership and the one-on-one coaching motion. Burnout is real. I mean, that's not just a buzzword. It is very real. I am so glad she spent some time discussing this with me. You've got to get yourself right first. Um, It reminds me of the airplane where they say in the event of turbulence, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you help someone else. I, I felt like that's what she was saying when she said, you won't be able to effectively lead if you yourself are not balanced and or healthy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I've got a really great guest coming on in the next couple of weeks that's going to address this directly. But I'm a, I'm a big believer in this balanced framework model I mentioned with Tiffany. You'll never be able to effectively remove most of the stress factors that are inherent in working in sales. But you can find ways to inject the passion factors for each individual. So make that a key part of your leadership strategy. <clears throat> How do you inject passion for each, each member of your team? And I think this is one of the reasons why Tiffany points to use of time. She pointed to it a couple of times when I asked for the greatest leadership challenge. She said, you know, being able to use time the right way. You need to help your reps maximize their selling time and, and also their personal improvement time. But you as a leader need to be careful to use time strategically too. Don't just do the transactional stuff with reps or the executive leaders. That's how we started this whole interview. Um, We have to be doing transformational stuff. So be intentional about spending time on transformative activities with reps and having transformative conversations with executive leaders. Tiffany suggests doing time audits on yourself regularly, and I think that is an awesome idea. I think it's the best practice for sure. Um, The highest performers... They absolutely use time better than their counterparts do almost every time I, de- I take a look at it, okay? So, so listen, Tiffany is right when she says that a 2 to 5% improvement in sales makes you a hero. The best way to accomplish this is in how time is used. Add more purpose with each activity you do. Help your reps add more purpose in the activities they do. You know, I've said on stage and I've said uh, in a lot of things that I've done, <clears throat> That PDA and sales is purpose-driven activities. And that we need to have as much PDA as possible. Just asking for more activities, really, that's just a good way to increase burnout. But helping people add purpose to each activity, that's a great way to add passion. It makes them feel fulfillment in what they're doing and that they're not just working hard. So take charge of your career. Invest in yourself. Balance yourself. Be the manager that is capable of helping others and then becomes that person that makes a positive influence, not one that just simply manages. So I want to thank Tiff for joining us today. Tiffany, you're awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She's a fantastic follow. Read her books. Follow her on social. Subscribe to her podcast. Take time to then thoughtfully consider what she suggests. I think you'll find yourself much more successful as a leader when you do so. She's made some big statements today. And she's making other big ones where she, wherever she shares content. So follow her. 
Um, Finally, I want to thank Outreach for their support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Outreach is the leading sales engagement platform. Supercharge your revenue-building efforts and check out Outreach today. If you haven't registered for Outreach Unleashed yet, do it. Uh, It's nearly sold out. Look for me there. I want to meet as many of you as I can. Uh, This is an event I'll be speaking at. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you found today's episode helpful, please share it and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That's what makes it easier for more people to find the show. And as the show grows, we can bring more and more of the world's greatest sales leaders to you. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope that you are ready to go and figure out how to add balance to what you're doing, add balance to what your reps are doing. Uh, take charge of how you spend time so you're far more, transact, uh, more transformative than you are transformational. And as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exploit at exvoyant.com.